Today's episode of The Year Upsell is brought to you by Freshly. We all live busy lives, and unfortunately, there aren't enough hours in the day to get everything done. Freshly is the easiest and most convenient way to eat healthy no matter what life throws your way. No more worrying about having to figure out what's for dinner, and especially, no mess to clean up after. Their menu is created by chefs for people who want to eat healthy but are living busy lives and don't always have the time for shopping, cooking, or cleaning. The best part about Freshly is the number of comfort meals they currently have that are also super healthy, like the buffalo chicken or the chicken parm. With Freshly, you can customize your weekly meals from their constantly changing menu of more than 30 chef-crafted options. And there's no weekly commitment, so you only get deliveries when you want them. Let me tell you, there's nothing better than knowing that no matter what happens in my daily life, I have a chef-cooked meal waiting for me at home. Check out this week's menu created by Freshly Chefs and get $25 off your first order of six chef-cooked dinners, plus free shipping by going to freshly.com slash upsell. You'll feel so relieved to come home to a chef-cooked meal every night with Freshly. That's freshly.com slash upsell for $25 off your first order. Order today to see what life is like when you no longer have to think about dinner. Welcome to the Eater Upsell, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. My name is Amanda Clute. I'm the editor-in-chief of Eater. I'm joined, as always, by Daniel Janine. Hi, Dan. Amanda Clute, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? Good. On today's episode of the Upsell, we are talking to Jessica Valenti, who is a journalist, uh, Guardian columnist, uh, New York Times bestseller, and more recently, a host for an Eater.com video series called Eating Out Loud. Yeah, Jessica uh, brought this idea to us. She wanted to humanize a lot of different figures across activism and academics, um, a lot of writers and political speakers. Mm-hmm. So she actually ends up talking to five of them, and she kind of centers the conversation around food and how food works its way into their lines of work. So today we want to talk to Jessica about her thoughts on food and feminism and performative eating. And then Jessica interviews Lindy West, the great author and speaker. Jessica, welcome to The Upsell. Thank you for having me. Uh, So you did this project with us that talked about kind of the intersection of food and politics and Mm -hmm. also explored the idea of humanizing Mm -hmm. activists and characters that could be flattened or, Mm -hmm. I don't know, taken at face value. Can you talk about why you wanted to do that? I mean, it it sounds so partisan and terrible, but it's true that, like, it really came out of seeing the way that so many – Trump supporters and and folks on the right were having these sort of really comprehensive humanizing profiles of them done, like in places like the Times, mm. um, like you know, it's like oh, the Nazi next door, you know, like and I <laughs> he's actually normal, it's he's fine, normal. he loves pasta, holy <laughs> oh, holy, it's great. Yeah, um, Steve Bannon cracks funny jokes on his way into the right, office, <laughs> right? And I I I was just getting sort of tired of it, and I feel like it's something that just doesn't happen on the left at all. Um, and that's and that's partially our own fault because we're so concentrated on getting the work done. Like we, we feel this sense of urgency, especially right now, right? And so like so much of the focus is on the work that we're not really thinking about that like long-term bigger picture, bigger picture strategy of like, no, like we need to let people know that like we are also human. Like mm-hmm. we have, we are full people with, with lives and families and, and dreams and, and all of that stuff. And I think... Actually, it, it seemed to me that the the focus on humanizing pe- folks on the left has really like worked to an, in an interesting way. When I've been seeing sort of some of the reactions mm-hmm. to the videos, like I sent you, yeah. Amanda, um, you know, with the Cecile one, there's been a ton of right wing Cecile press. Richards, Cecile that, Richards. Um, president of Planned Parenthood or former president, of former Planned- pro- she's on her on, on her, her way, way out. out, transitioning out, president, right. um, and there's been all of this 
coverage on the right of like, oh, look, like, oh, they're trying to humanize, like, and they put it in quotes, Cecile Richards, how terrible. <laughs> um, and it's so fun. And it goes to prove the point. Like, they are so offended yeah. by the idea that that these people are more than just symbols, right, of, of things that they hate. And why food? Why food? I like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. No, um, I mean, I, there there is something humanizing about food. Like, we all eat. We all sit down to, you know, to, mm-hmm. to dinner together. Um, and the conversations that you do have over food, I think, become more personal easily. Like, there's almost something, like, a little bit vulnerable about, like, sitting and, and eating with someone, right? Like, it's a personal thing that you're doing. Um, so it, it feels like the conversation sort of flows more easily, especially with folks, you know, like Cecile, like Lindy, like like Sean, who are used to giving interviews, right? Like you're used to giving interviews, you like you sit in a particular way, like you have your talking points. Um, and so in a certain way, it also like takes you off guard, mm-hmm. which I think is nice. In the interview with Lindy, you guys talk about performative eating a lot. Mm-hmm. Can you explain to the audience how that relates to your life in terms of trying to be the cool girl or even beyond sure. that? Sure, yeah, I, I talked about it a bit in the, you know, in the beginning and when Lindy was talking about you know, performative eating from her side where she really has to think about what she's eating because people are looking at her as a fat person and judging what she eats. Like, oh, if she's not eating a salad, she's a terrible person. Or if she's like enjoying herself in any way, um, that's horrible. And, you know, the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, wow, like I have done that a lot too, especially as a as a younger woman. Um, you know, I was like, oh, I'm not one of those girls who, like, eats salads. Like, gross. <laughs> like, I don't diet. Right. Um, you know, whenever I went out with a guy or was with my friends, I, like, became the person. I was like, second order of mozzarella sticks, please. <laughs> like, just completely eating whatever I wanted. But, of course, that's performative, too, right? Because right. it was my way of, like, distancing myself from a particular brand of femininity that I found offensive and like it didn't occur to me to sort of like dig into why I found that offensive Mm -hmm. or like the way that I was judging other women for how they sort of negotiated their own way through patriarchal norms right so it was like judgy and performative of me as well right so it was and it almost relates to what you say later about how you do it with your daughter almost because Mm. you don't want to instill in her any weird eating habits. So it's almost like overly embracing everything. I'm definitely like, isn't this so delicious? (laughs) Like we eat because it feels good and because it's great, right? Like I never want her, you know, I just never want her to feel that way. And of course that's unrealistic. Like she's Mm -hmm. going to get those messages um, through culture, through her peers. Uh, Girl's relationship to food is so fraught, but it, it does feel important to me that she sees food and eating as something that's supposed to be nourishing, but also like joyous and fun and intimate and great and related to to family and comfort. Um, and I and I feel like the more I can do that for her, the better sort of like defense I'm giving mm-hmm. her. Um, who knows if it'll work? But I'm hopeful. But at least it'll be. She'll be grounded in a good place. Right. She'll be grounded in a good place. I have so many friends who, like, when they were growing up, um, their mothers in particular, and again, this is, like, their mothers sort of negotiating their own way Mm -hmm. through a sexist world, you know, don't eat that. Like, little girls, like, don't eat so fast or, like, you're eating too messy or, like, have, like, cantaloupe instead of ice cream, right? Like, it – 
because you know what the world looks like for girls who eat too much or enjoy food too much, right? And it's like a pleasure thing too. Like it's not just about weight. It's about mm. sort of women enjoying themselves women too much. Women enjoying themselves too much. Yeah. Like you it's not like a good girl thing to do. Even in in your book Sex Object, you mentioned there's an aunt who said one summer you came back and she's like, "You got fat." Yeah, that was my grandma. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 your grandma. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, lovely, lovely. <laughs> Rest in peace, grandma. Um, she, yeah, it was such like a weird. I had never had any body issues. Like I was, I was a pretty like thinking and like didn't think about it. And I gained, um, I think, like thirty pounds my first year of college. I, my first year of college, I was in New Orleans, and so there was like a lot of rice and beans in that cafeteria that I was enjoying, <laughs> and a lot of beer. Um, and still, like, I didn't, you know, we didn't have a scale in the house. It was not something I even really noticed until someone said something to you know my grandma was like oh you got fat and my sister was there she's like no she didn't grandma she's like oh yeah look at her she's really fat um and I just like lost the weight and I think internally I was like I'm never gonna hear that again right like, I my never grandma's want never to, gonna say that to I me. never <laughs> want to feel that way again it was mm-hmm. the, like though it just felt like the worst feeling I think it's also kind of a, a generational thing like my parents would have never said that to me yeah and my mm-hmm. grandparents weren't shitty people yeah but like I would walk in there and it'd be like, oh, you've gained weight. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's more normal for them. Right. Yeah. So it's like we're we're getting better. Yeah. No, I do think it's generational. My parents never would have said something like that. I think it is like a very and it's also like, you know, they're Italian. Everyone's <laughs> sort of like says what they think. No one keeps anything inside. So what are your reactions then to like all the food porn, the food porn Instagram trend? Yeah. I mean, I I take part in the food porn yeah. Instagram trend pretty heavily. Like, that is definitely, <laughs> like, 50% of my Instagram. Um, but Lindy made me think about it differently, right? Like, there is this, this sort of strange hidden privilege to be able to do that. And it's like, yeah, I'm making, like, brownies again or I'm making pasta again. Whereas someone who is fat – they're going to get comments, right, about yep. like, oh, well, why? like you're not eating healthy, quote unquote healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so like you just aren't able, again, like to have that pleasure to enjoy yourself, to sort of like participate in a cultural phenomenon that is supposed to be fun and apolitical. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden it becomes really political. Yeah. Another thing that I was thinking about with the interview you had with her that I don't think it, it made it in to our video was discussing – what it means to cook for your family Mm. and how as a feminist you almost wanted to reject that and never thought you'd spend time in the kitchen because you saw your mom slave away at that and you wanted to be the person who didn't do it, but then you found joy in it. Yeah, it was a really strange thing for me. I actually didn't really start cooking until I had my daughter. Um, For that very reason, I sort of, again, like so judgmental, so like really needed to dig into that at some point sort of judged my mom. I was like, oh, like, she just takes care of everyone. Like, I need to do my own thing. Like, I don't want to become, like, the typical housewife. Um, and sort of re- rejected all that, even though cooking was such an amazing part of my family life that I enjoyed. Um, but, you know, after my daughter was born, I was sort of working a little bit less because of some, like, medical conditions that she had. And so I started cooking just out of necessity and boredom, to be frank. And I was like, oh, I really like this. And I'm actually pretty good at it, mm-hmm. too. Um, and I I just found a lot of, like, joy and fulfillment in it. 
especially I think for someone, and I hear this from a lot of like writers or activists, right? Like if you spend all day online or if you're like using your brain all day, yep. it's it's nice to have a hobby or do something with your hands, whether it's like cooking or gardening or something like that, like just something that's tactile. Yeah. Um, well, we've spoken to Julia Tertian about this. Yeah. She's an author who wrote this book, Feed the Resistance, so where it was just recipes yeah. from all these activists. And I think there is that commonality of, okay, we are out on the front lines all day mm. and there is this nourishing thing that we can get at home. Yeah, it makes a big it makes a big difference. And it became something like I did with my daughter too. And then I started to think about it in a completely different way where I'm like, no, I'm actually giving her tools to be an independent person, right? Huh. Like she's seven. She like makes herself grilled cheese. She can mm-hmm. make herself some food. Um, I want her to have that. Like being able to feed yourself is a pretty like major basic part of being an adult human, yeah. right? So like it's a it's a good feminist thing that I'm giving her. Yeah, it's funny. For me, it was the complete opposite where Mm -hmm. I would cook a little bit. And then as soon as I had my kid, I just stopped completely because my husband stepped up and I realized like, okay, this is something that I can let go of. I don't really enjoy it. And now I have all this extra time and this is just his job and the household. And it helps set this up. It's like, okay, this is our division of labor. I do these things. You do these things. And I don't feel guilty about it at all and it excites you a lot so if it brings you pleasure great I'm gonna go do something else exactly and that's like a nice thing to model to your kids too Mm -hmm. like it makes me happy um Andrew my husband like he is like the breakfast person Mm -hmm. like he (laughs) takes Layla to school every day and he cooks her like a hot breakfast every morning and he cooks breakfast on the weekends um and I do like the dinners and big holidays and things like that and it makes me happy that like we're modeling that sort of not complete parody, but like some sort of parody to her where she's like, yeah, both of my parents know how to cook, like do different mm-hmm. things. Like they're, bo- you know what I mean? So like yeah, it's sort of, independent. yeah, it like made me feel a little bit better about the fears that I had mm-hmm. about like, she's just going to see a woman cooking. Like I have the same thing with driving. Like Andrew, when we go <laughs> up, we have a house upstate and like when we drive, he always drives because he gets really car sick right. if he doesn't drive. Um, and so I always say, like, when we're, I'm like, Daddy's driving because he gets car sick, like, not because mom's It's not a sexist drive. thing, I swear. Yeah. But I remember noticing mm. that as a kid, like, yeah. oh, Dad always drives, Mom doesn't drive. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. <laughs> so what about early in the in the book, you talk about how food was a way of you kind of exerting power over people, and, like, that's something you enjoyed? Yeah. It was, like, a – it was sort of a way for me to overcome some class anxiety, I think. Um, I, I – I think I wrote, yes, I wrote about this in the book when I was meeting my husband's parents for the first time. Um, they were sort of like, you know, professional people. Like he was an editor of a newspaper. She was a, a environmental lawyer, um, very highly educated, much more educated than my family. Um, and the same thing was true of like my my husband. He went to Harvard and I was like, oh, my God. And I went to state <laughs> school and I had all of this stuff to work out. But when I had them come over and I was able to like put out this like beautiful tray of appetizers and like had a beautiful home, like somehow it made me feel powerful and in control mm-hmm. of that moment um, in a way that I wouldn't otherwise. I, I think about that a lot in uh... – Restaurants like yeah. my parents took me to restaurants a lot growing up, so yeah. I was like comfortable with being in fancy restaurants, yeah. and I knew what the things were on the menu. Yeah. So I was one. I was. You didn't talk about being in restaurants explicitly in the book, but like you talked about dating a lot, yeah. and so when you were in these fancier places and people were bringing you to restaurants, uh, was it something you were conscious of, like how you were navigating those scenes? Oh yeah, I was really uncomfortable. There was one guy I was dating. Um, 
who came from a pretty wealthy family and like on I will never forget on one of our first dates he brought me somewhere and I like reached for the check to like try to sp- split it and he was so offended he was like that is so like he sort of like chastised me he's like that is so rude we were like in a nice restaurant like don't embarrass me um and it was i was like oh i just became hyper aware of like oh like maybe that's a thing like i didn't know (laughs) that i'm not supposed to when actually he was a dick (laughs) when actually he was just like a total asshole um but yeah i mean as i got old it's interesting i did and i wrote about this in the book a bit like i did a lot of like class crossing over mm-hmm. like as I went to high school I went to high school in Manhattan to like a specialized math and science school and a lot of my friends came from wealthier families and I felt like I had like I often joked I had like one foot in Queens and one foot in Manhattan and like that's how it felt and so I sort of learned to navigate like restaurants and like fancier things um in a way that I think my parents didn't and so I became like almost this cultural translator mm-hmm. for them like when we would go out to restaurants and it, it's it's a strange thing. Yeah, there's something really weird about restaurants that kind of lets you buy your way into a different class for like yeah. yep. a couple hours. And it's so bizarre to like see my kid now. <laughs> she like said the other day, she's like, oh, I just really want to go to Pock Pock. I'm just like craving, craving, <laughs> craving sticky rice. I was like, who are you? Like, Where did you come from? Right. I'm like, oh, we're really raising quite a bougie, bougie Brooklyn kid. <laughs> Do people look to you to be like the figure that determines who should take the bill? Like, do people ask you a lot of check People do ask questions? me a lot of those questions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're like, they, I get a lot of those, yeah, like feminist um, manners questions, like door opening and like mm, bills mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, when people ask me about bills and first dates, I'm usually like, oh, whoever invited the person on the date should mm-hmm. pick it up. Or like, we always, you know, split. Like, But, but the, che- the check is always the subtle sexism that I notice yes. in restaurants and point out because they always... Yeah. Put it in front of men. Yeah. Like, and even if, even if they know me and they know like I'm a regular, they're still just like so giving it to someone who works for me. And I'm like, uh, come on. <laughs> so like the funniest thing that happened, like in that same way, I was dating this guy who was um, diabetic. Right. And so he would like, when we went out to dinner, would always order Diet Cokes and I would order Cokes, but they would always put it oh, and like I the way I started <laughs> drinking Diet Cokes was I had to start ordering Diet Cokes because he would get sick. Oh no. Because he was diabetic like, he could never get like You Cokes must like, be on the diet. Right. Yeah. It's like <laughs> you have my, so it was pretty God, wow, yeah, there's so. so many cases of that, like the, the pink drink mm-hmm. or like the mm-hmm. whatever's vegetarian. It must be the woman's. Right. That's like, just ask, guys. Right. And my husband eats like much less than I do. He's like a very thin man. And the same thing, like he will often order like an appetizer for dinner and I have like the huge the big thing. And I'm like, okay, just switch it around. Yeah. And it's like the steam comes out of their ears. Yeah. They're so surprised. Yeah. So what we wanted to do here is play your interview with Lindy West. Can you, for our audience, introduce who Lindy West is and why you wanted to speak with her? Sure. Lindy um, is a now a columnist for the New York Times. She's an author. She wrote a a really wonderful New York Times bestseller called Shrill. Um, And she, like me, sort of got her start writing on the internet. She was a writer for Jezebel and I believe The the Stranger for a little while. Um, And so Lindy and I got to know each other through online feminist spaces, right? And in particular, we both sort of dealt with a lot of online harassment. And so we've we've bonded, unfortunately, over over hate mail quite a bit. 
Um, and so that's how we know each other. And she's she's terrific. I think I first heard of Lindy where on a radio show where they were talking about the usage of the word fat, which mm-hmm. she embraces. Yeah. And I think people want to use, I don't know, overweight or they yeah. want to say they want to say words that make them feel more comfortable. Exactly. But as a fat person, she's trying to push right. the conversation forward and say, no, I am fat and, and it's OK. Right. And like I embrace this. Right. And that's why I you know use the word because she's right. Like it, it is a descriptor. Right? right. And if you treat it as a disparaging word or an insult, like what you were really saying is that being fat is a terrible thing right. and insults. Um, and so if we can just sort of like normalize that word as like that is a, a descriptor, like some people are thin, some people are fat. Yeah, and in, in food media, it's just something never really discussed and right. never really displayed. And I think she mentions this how you like, you could be maybe a fat male chef, I guess, but that's the only time you really right. see these people in the food world. Right. Well, no. Yeah. Anything to add? No, we can run it. Cool. just always felt very viscerally clear to me that people are watching me when mm-hmm. I'm eating in public because we pathologize fat bodies and we assume we, we apply all of these negative connotations and, and all of these assumptions to um, you know, about what people's lives must be like what people's inner lives and people's mental health and people's um, morality must be like based on what their body looks like. You know, we assume that fat people are are lazy, fat people are are too stupid to know how to take care of themselves, fat, fat people have no willpower, you know, we're just kind of these like slaves to our all of our you know, most animal impulses. Um and, and it's really dehumanizing. And so there's this feeling when you eat especially in public at a restaurant, um but even at home, even with family, even I mean, a lot right, of people yeah. have really complicated relationships with sure. with food and their families, you know, their mothers, and um, y- you. There's this this feeling that what you're doing is not just fueling your body, mm-hmm. but representing all fat people and like making, yeah. uh, you know, you have a choice where you can either fulfill the stereotype by like conf- you can confirm everyone's worst assumptions about you right. by having a milkshake or something. Yeah. Um, and then people look at you with disgust or pity or, um, you know, or this sort of satisfaction like, oh, oh I'm, yeah, of course. Right. Or you can have a salad and people are like, oh, like, nice try, honey. You know, like, right. or, you know, there's something condescending about that too. Like, it's either that kind of, you're not fooling anybody by having that salad or it's right. like now like, Oh, good job. Like there, there, it, it yeah, removes like patronizing. Sort yeah. Of. And it, it just pulls you out of the experience of, mm-hmm. you know, n- nourishing yourself and spending time with your family and your friends. Right. And it's like, um, it's really kind of alienating from, from your body and from the experience of eating. I just know, you know, I know a lot of people, women especially, and because yeah. this is an experience that women have anyway. Like, women already... Right, it's like, already fraught. Yeah, women yeah, eating, eat yeah. performatively all the time. Um, yes. Women of, of all sizes. And because women's bodies are so aggressively policed and so, like, ubiquitously policed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, food is so directly associated with 
body size in everyone's mind, um, whether or not that's true. Right. Um, but so, yeah, you know, I just have always, it took me a really, really long time to feel like I could actually eat what I wanted at a restaurant in public and not, and not feel completely out of myself and like. Right, not able to enjoy it or like have yeah. Feel, yeah. Yeah, um, and it's just, especially in this cultural moment where right. everything is like, you know, a macaroni burger, like, <laughs> like deep right. fried, deep fried Snickers uh, chicken. <laughs> Snickers chicken sounds like something I might. It does sound. I might eat pretty actually. good. Um, but uh, copyrighted. Don't steal it. But, you know, it's, fat people can't participate in that. It's like, right. we're like weirdly the right. sort of, I mean, you could be like a fat man celebrity chef, I guess. And people, right, it's different for women. It's right. different, yeah. yeah. Like, it, people just have so much pity and disdain for you. And it's so, you can just feel it. I, you, you can just feel it everywhere you go. Um, Do people say things? I mean. Like at restaurants or grocery shopping? I've had, like you. yeah, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I. I feel like, at least now, I project some sort of, some degree of confidence like, that like, people do not right. say things to me anymore. But when I was younger and I was much more insecure and nervous and like apologetic and uh, yeah. yeah, people were bad to me for sure. And right. I know a lot of people, I mean, I know people who, I mean, Roxane Gay writes in her yeah. most recent book, um, Hunger, about people, strangers taking food out of her cart at the grocery store. Um, you know, I've had a, many, many people walk up to me and offer me, you know, offer to sell me diet pills or like some sort of weight loss program and, you know, tell me that I'm going to yeah. die. Nice. Yeah, it's really helpful, like really made me feel cared for. Right. And um, like they cared about my health. <laughs> um, they really wanted to help me. You know, so you, it's not a paranoia. Like people are watching right. it's you. Right, real, it's a real thing. People are, I mean, of course, if anyone wants to, because people always try to tell you that your experiences are not real and you're making them up. Right. And sorry, it's obviously real. We know the culture that we live in and we know that we're inundated in diet culture all the time. Right. And we know that, um, I don't know, that uh, fat people are encouraged to participate in patterns of eating that would be considered disordered in a thin person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we, yeah. we praise fat people for... Um, very dangerous, disordered eating patterns, and it's right. and it's really kind of violent and scary, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, and fat people have a terrible time getting care for eating disorders because people don't believe that fat people can have, have an, an eating, eating disorder, disorder yeah. um, except for you know binge eating disorder. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, they can and. Um, Fat people have a really hard time getting medical care anyway. Fat people right. get paid less. I mean, these, this thing has ripples. All throughout everything. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, to be in this, like, food porn era. Right. And feel like simultaneously, like, people, I think people assume, no, I don't think, because they email me and tell me. People assume that this is how I eat all the time. People are like. Like mac and cheeseburgers? Yeah. People are like, oh, uh, you know, enjoy your eight. <laughs> coronary right. burgers, whatever. 
people assume that that's how I eat all the time, and also I feel totally not able to participate in that. In culture. like food porn and yeah, taking pictures like, of like Instagram oh, your food and if stuff I like that. If I post a picture of like a decadent meal, right? On, I mean, especially on Twitter, people. My yeah. Instagram is still like blissfully. I know it's like they haven't found it yet. Let's I know, not so talk I really like shouldn't talk it. about it. I know, <laughs> but like if I, if I were to post something like, right. oh, a piece of cake on mm-hmm. Twitter, it would just have been hell. Right. So you know, and that didn't stop me. In fact, that makes me want to do it more. Right. Um, all of this, like, I just want to post like the fattest picture of me, like all the time. big piece <laughs> like, of cake. You're like totally. I mean, I did a photo shoot when my book came out for yeah. the Seattle Times where I was like, oh, because it was for the food section. So yeah. we had a sort of similar conversation. You know, yeah. we talked about um, the, what it feels like to be a fat person eating in public. And and I was like, th- they asked if I had any ideas for the concept. I think it was, maybe it wasn't my idea. I shouldn't take credit. I don't remember. But we went to this restaurant and just, it was like a spread of yeah. like a giant sundae and like a giant burger. Nice. And I'm holding the burger and it's like, and trolls, of course, found those pictures and still like recycle them over and over. And I was like, "But that's it's like I took it. I took I'm these photos. You. <laughs> Why don't you understand? I mean, they don't have that. It's, no, it's too deep. Like, and too it's like I'm, I'm smiling and I'm happy and I'm holding a giant burger, and I have hair and makeup. I know. And it's like, I did this on purpose, you guys. Right. But I mean, they don't. Well, I think I can't that's also part of it too. It's right, like, how dare you enjoy food? How yeah. dare you? look dressed up and pretty while doing it. And how dare you enjoy anything? I mean, yeah, like, you're you su- as a fat anything? person, you're supposed to, like, ha- perform this public penance. Like, the right. least you could do is be miserable until right. you make yourself thin. And then, I mean, we tell people very explicitly that happiness is the reward for a thin body and right. that all your problems will be solved if you finally make your body smaller. Right. And that's And then people devote their whole lives. They spend... I mean, the diet industry is like a billion dollar industry. Right. And this is an, a financial burden that especially falls on women. And people spend years and years and years chasing this um, promise of yeah. happiness, which isn't real. It doesn't solve, you still have right. all the same problems. Yeah. You can talk to people who've lost large amounts of weight. I mean, you, yeah, some of your problems go away. People aren't mean to you on the street anymore and, you know, wh- whatever else. But like, all the emotional problems that you yeah. that you had are still there. All your relationship problems and your financial problems, and it's all still there. You're still the same person. It's not magic. Right. And I feel like not to go too far off on this tangent, but no, I no. I feel like I feel like that is at the root of a lot of the hostility toward people like me mm-hmm. who insist on living a happy life publicly and staying fat. Like, right. Because it's like I skipped to the end and I stole the prize without right. putting in the work. Right. But it's not, it's not real. You know, like that race isn't real. You can just, and, and I had, and I realized this, I ha, it was an explicit realization that I had in my 20s. I was like, I'm waiting for my life to start. Because we tell fat people that they are thin people who are temporarily failing. Right. And that once you stop failing, then you get to have a good life. And I realized pretty late in my 20s, you know, like 26, mm-hmm. 27, 28 even, that I was waiting for my life to start and that there was no reason to do that. And I, I just, I only get one life. Like, I don't yeah. even believe in heaven. <laughs> you know, like, I don't, I just get this one chance. And I was like, what, what am I doing? Yeah. And then once I, once that switch flipped, 
like my life literally became incredible. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, I mean, I, I, it was like all in one week. Like, I right. started dating my now husband, and I started, um, you know, like the the things started falling into place that like led to me moving to Jezebel and moving to a national platform and yeah. like becoming, you know, starting the career that I have now. And it's just like all of that started in that moment. And it's kind of bizarre. It sounds like. No, Magic, I, believe, but, no yeah. I feel like that stuff happens when you make certain decisions mm -hmm. about your life and you're like, no, I want a particular thing for myself. I think that that's, it's powerful. It makes a difference. Yeah, for sure. I just want to go back to something that you said because I thought it was really interesting about women eating performatively. Mm -hmm. um, because I don't think that that's always even like dieting or like, oh, I'm going to have a salad. Like I know for a long time, like when I would go out with a guy or have a first date, I'd be like, I'm gonna get a burger. Mm -hmm. I'm a like, I'm a cool girl. I'm gonna get like totally. the biggest, fattest burger, and like, yeah, aren't I amazing? <laughs> you right. know, like, oh, it was totally. a, but it was a, it was a thing. Like, I probably didn't want to have a burger in that right. moment, but mm -hmm. it does feel like, like you are being watched as a woman. Yeah, and even that is like such a messed up, like subtle version of like warfare between women. Yes. It's being like, I'm not like one I'm of them. I'm not like one of those girls. And I don't like, eat salads, it's fuck a, salads. Yeah, and it's a thing well. that like, you know, women's magazines tell you like, try this on the first date, eat a big burger, but then the next month it's like, have a dainty salad. You don't mm -hmm. wanna be like, just do it, like just be the person that you are and like eat what you want, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just feel like we're so. What's that? Yeah. Right? Ugh. And I do it now too. Some mm. even I do that opposite thing now, like defiantly sometimes. Right. right. Where I don't I don't want people to think that I'm on a diet because I don't want to be the fat lady on a diet. So even if I want a salad, sometimes I, like it's it's so messed up, and we're so divorced from eating nourishing food to fuel our bodies or to feel joy and <laughs> just like happiness and goodness. Yeah, yeah. and it's just like baffling that we ended up in this place, you know? So in terms of that shift that took place, what is the difference now with you like going into a restaurant and enjoying a meal versus then? Yeah, I mean, I still have all kinds of anxieties about going into sure. a restaurant because now there's like, I'm like kind of fatter now. So mm -hmm. now it's like, oh, are the chairs gonna have arms that are eight inches apart? <laughs> like, am I gonna fit in the chair? Am I gonna right. break the chair? Am I gonna like, just knock everything off uh, the table when I slide into the banquette. Um, so I never sit on the, I mean, I, I, it's, there's all kinds of negotiations. Sure. Like I never sit on the banquette side. I always sit in the, I prefer the chair and like, I don't go to certain restaurants cause I yeah. know that like the, I'm going to be like uncomfortable um, or, and not just uncomfortable, but embarrassed, you know, it's sure. really humiliating to feel like you're too fat to eat yeah. <laughs> at a restaurant. Like, come on, you guys. If anyone should be accommodating me. Um, so there's still all of that, but I don't have hangups about what I'm ordering anymore. Right. Um, even if a server mocks me, which sometimes happens. Really? <laughs> well, like, I remember I went to um, a restaurant and I was ordering, like, extra food to take home to yeah. my husband. Yeah. And, but, the, but I was eating in. Right. But so I ordered, like, two entrees and, like, an mm -hmm. appetizer or something. And the the server was like, are you sure? 
And I was like, it's for someone else. Like, I mean, I guess that still hurts my feelings. Sure. A little bit, but it wasn't, it didn't like ruin my week the sure. way that it may have before. So, you know, yeah, when I was younger, um, you know, you just, I, I just would, I was always strategic, always thinking about what, what I was going to look like eating this food. Is it going to be messy? Like, am I going to be a fat woman covered in food? Um, and, and am I going to, you know, what, what, what am I going to look like to the other people in this restaurant? And so um, it's just like a lot of salads or it'd be like, I'll get a salad, but I'll get like a, a French fry. <laughs> like, right, 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 right. Or, um, you know, there was just always this sort of bargaining, trying to make it seem like I wasn't, you know, you're, I'm trying to figure out how to say this. Like, there's always this kind of just desperation to prove that you are, a, you're, you're a human being and you're not just this amalgam of um, assumptions that other yeah. people have. And so, uh, like, it's so claustrophobic to, to feel like people are looking at you and they think that they know what your life is. And, yeah. and so I just always felt really, really uh, confined by that. And I, and it's, um, yeah, it definitely changed what I ate and how I ate and then how I ate in private. Like, it made it so right. that um, I'm sure, you know, in private I would uh, eat, like, more junk food than I normally would have. Because sure. it was like, uh, I would be so restrictive in public. Just depriving yourself, and right? Then, right, and then you feel like you can only, not even indulge, but, like, feel normal. Right. You know, like, eat what thin you would people eat. get yeah. to eat get to eat cookies, you yeah. know, and, and there, it's this kind of fundamental part of life. And, um, that's something that I could, I only felt like I could partake in in private, which is not healthy to have this sort of covert behavior. And so the process of getting to a place where I just eat things that sound good to me when I'm hungry, and then I don't eat when I'm not hungry. And I, you know, it's just like a, a normal body function. Yeah. Well, normal is a really fraught word, but you know, it's, it's pretty Your basic. Your body function. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was, very, very, very good for my mental health. That was Jessica Valenti interviewing Lindy West. For more of Jessica's show, check out Eating Out Loud on Eater.com. If you want to hear more from Lindy, check out her book, Shrill. That's it for today's Upsell. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, if you liked it, it would be great if you could rate it on the platform of your choice or an email at upsell at eater.com. The Upsell is hosted by me, Daniel Janine, and our editor-in-chief, Amanda Clute, and we record in the Vox Media Studios in New York, New York. Our studio team is Paige Bethman, Carrie Clements, Alex Allreich, and Miles Yule. And the executive producer of the whole thing is Maureen Giannone Fitzgerald. Thank you so much, and we will see you next week. <laughs>